Here we are on episode 4 of Football United vs Soccer City podcast and thank you to all for the continued support on the social media pages and with the podcast itself. Being a narrow slice of soccer life in Australia, this podcast is averaging more listeners than I thought it would. But I must stress, recording people's Illawarra soccer history is the main objective, so we can embrace, appreciate and demonstrate our great history in the region as a sport. The interviewee on this episode was fascinating to catch up with, as his introduction to the game via his family instilled in him a passion for the game which has not left him. And when one of the family members is Uncle Barry Salisbury, and you get taken onto the field as a team mascot in the 1963 Federation Grand Final between South Coast United and Apia in front of 30,000 plus people, it must create a memory so fantastic it beggars belief. This was one of many fascinating moments in Alan Mangle's soccer life. I dearly hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed conversing with Alan. Thanks again to Alan and Sandra for the interview, and thank you, the listener, for supporting my endeavour of exploring Illawarra's football or soccer history. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. We're here in the leafy surrounds of Winuna. And we're here at the Mangles residence, and I'm here with Al. Oh, yep. So uh, thank you for having me at your place. It's appreciated. Uh, thank you, Travis. So um, I guess the uh, uh, most people know you in the Illawarra circles, but uh, we'll, we'll start from the beginning. So uh, do you want to tell uh, myself and, and the listeners a bit about your introduction to, to soccer? Because it was a pretty much what I would class in my research and being a bit of an amateur uh, history buff on the Laura soccer, uh, sort of a rock star pass, so to speak, to, <laughs> to the game in those days in, in the 60s. Yeah, well, I was involved with, uh, through my uncle Barry Salisbury, mum's brother, that uh, got through the early, early 1963 when they got to the grand final and beat Arpia 4-0 up at uh, this old sports grand in front of 30,000 people. I was lucky enough to be the mascot on the day, walking out with hand in hand with Barry, and uh, that was quite a, a thrill at an early age. Uh, through all the, the South Coast United days, through the Jimmy Kellys and, and that sort of era, and then in '68, Barry went to Balgania to coach, so I followed Barry with, with the family to Balgania to watch, watch him coach there. He was there for a few years, then retired in '71. So, with. Um Let's speak about about those times because obviously uh, they uh, obviously developed a passion inside you that's, oh, that's yeah. carried on ever since. Yeah. But to uh, put it in perspective, even though you were at a young age, you know, five through to, yeah. um, you know, maybe 10 or 11, but you saw probably one of the uh, one of the purple patches in oh, your soccer, soccer history. Oh, you know, definitely. We're, we're yeah. talking what... I think it was. I think I have the official crowd that day for the '63 uh, grand final between Arpia, and it was thirty thousand one hundred and fifty-eight. Yeah. Yeah. And so you got to tremendous you were there, day yeah. out in the ground. So yeah. you know, you do have recollections of that day. Oh, definitely. Actually, I remember being sick on minties and vomiting all the way home in the car. <laughs> Too many minties. And but because uh, the crowds, 
even that year in 63 I don't think I think they went up in 64 65 and in 69 when they won the league championship they were a bit bigger they averaged around four to five but yeah. they were sort of two to four thousand depending on the team yeah, come, whoever came down would be panhellenic so that experience at a, a young age seeing huge oh. crowds in a, in the old balls paddock which was just supposedly yeah. great atmosphere how did yeah. how did you feel being ball boy and, and yeah well, nine, you know nine thousand when they played panhellenic at uh, the at old Woodinner Oval, uh, Balls Paddock in them days. Just people on roofs, just trying to get a glimpse of the game. Just, uh, of course, Paddling, you know, a great Greek club, but they brought a, a massive amount of supporters with them as well. But, uh, you know, some of the Arpia crowds, you know, ma- magnificent. Just heady days, you know, and, and a lot of players were coming out from England, the, the Kellys, and had followed with the Naughty Olston during that era, uh, William McGrady, you know, there were some great people that came out. Yeah, and well, they were talented players. And Barry as well. So I guess for you initially, uh, probably not until maybe your teens or even your 20s, you didn't really see that as any different, did you? No, it just became part of life. You know, I'd, I'd go up in the car with Barry and the old physio, uh, Les Magic Fingers Griffin, they used to call him. I'd go up in the old EH and up to Arlington Oval with the Canterbury Babes even. And I was only two or three years old. So, you know, just that's when it all started for me and just... We always had that passion for soccer through that. So even though we did, um, and we'll make it clear for the listeners, even though we did have, uh, I guess it was now the, it was sort of de facto A-League, um, a mix between A-League or NSL and mm. um, MPL1 because you only had the top yeah, state yeah. leagues, but we had, you know, two to three teams. Um, I think Bowgani were in the second division. They were, yes. And yeah. then, but South Coast United, who were... Uh, a, Emerging of Coromel United and and Winuna, um, there wasn't just local teams. There was other strong teams. But Barry, your uncle, he he played for Canterbury, which was yeah, the, one of the premier base, yeah. clubs. So yeah, Johnny Warren, uh, Johnny Watkins, uh, uh, Raul uh, Blanco, I think was in that. Raul Ra- 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 might have coached that team. Uh, Leo Bungartner, that would be a famous name that a lot of oldies would remember. So for you, it was more of a case of you you got to see. A bit of Canterbury, but then when he came back to South Coast, yeah, um, more, yeah, more of that, more, yeah. more of that. But you got to travel up in the car, yeah, and yeah. and I guess being that inner sanctum. So but, yeah, I'd, I'd go over to Balls Paddock every Tuesday and Thursday night for training or whatever they train. I'd fox all the balls for them. They'll shoot and practice, and yeah. So uh, yeah, very very uh, auspicious start to I guess your footballing life or soccer life. You were still watching, I guess, um, Barry had gone over to Bowgowney in 68, mm. but uh, do you still remember those sort of um, talking about South Coast for a second? What colour shirts did they play in? You know? It was the old log sleeve, uh, red, and had a, uh, a white thing around the trim around the neck, yep. and then the white South Coast United badge. Yeah, uh, and shorts and socks? Uh White shorts and red socks, I, oh, yeah, I think, okay. yeah, I just remember the shirt mainly. And so uh, simultaneously as you were ball boy mascot and, and helping out at training um, with your uncle, you were also starting to play. Oh, know, yeah, yeah. And you, and you were obviously a, a Winuna junior, yep. so uh, yep. what are your memories of, of those days? Um, oh, starting 65, I started in the, under, the old under sevens as a six-year-old and Played right through the grades there into the 12s. We had a fella called um, Eric Thompson, 
who'd have you well known to the listeners amongst the district soccer circles. Eric was a coach at Wadoona under 12s at the time, and then uh, we used to skip two years. Then we used to go 12s, 14s, 16s, and uh, that's when I first. Eric sort of introduced that professionalism about that. Then I'd have to go up and I have to play with the Peter Beggses in that in that that side, which was a, a Brian Island, uh, Roddy Vandervoord. Uh, ended up being that was quite a classy side. Them and Coromel used to have some great clashes in those days. They were the two the gun clubs. But Eric was very professional. I remember that about uh, you know the first sort of signs of a real professional type coach. Trained very hard, Eric. Had it. And uh, with uh, Winuna. Um uh, what colour shirts were they playing in the time? And oh, was the old, it down at Ocean, Ocean Park? Ocean Park, yes. I started the early days at Nico Park, but then we moved over to Ocean Park when I was about 10, roughly about 10 or 9 or 10. Uh, yeah, red and blue, yeah, it was always similar sort of uh, colours to what they are these days. But uh, Ocean Park was a funny thing experience. Where the main ground is now, there used to be the old number three ground, and you'd be picking up pieces of tin and rocks off the ground as you were playing, you know, coming through from the old dump, uh, the old, uh, yeah. dump days. Quite dangerous, actually, but uh, because the main the main field was uh, diagonally across uh, northwest, wasn't it? Um, uh, on compared the, to the main ground now. Yeah, it's yeah northwest and not there. Before it. Um, that that I think was originally the old grass from Balls Paddock when they dug Balls Paddock up okay. for the uh, Kmart or Magnolia Green going in. Yeah. And they took the grass down to Wanuna. That's where it was laid on that old Wanuna number three or well, number three ground now at Wanuna, but used so to be the number some, one. Uh, Football DNA being transferred across. Yeah. Obviously, uh, that that interaction meant with with Barry that you were pretty passionate about about your soccer. And then um, coming out of the junior ranks, um, you didn't um, go through to Winuna. No, I yeah, just never. I had a, a good friend who actually ended up working for Billy Williams, was the coach of Blamby, and his son Greg, who I'm still great friends with now. He Greg said, "Come to Blamby with me and 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 Dad and that you'll you'll really enjoy it." And Bulambi were the gun side in those days. They were them and Bulo uh, workers yep. had had great battles all through that era. I used to go and watch a lot of those with Uncle Ken, Kenny Mangles, who still involved with Bulai now. And uh, I'd end up out at Bulambi with Greg. As, as I was a goal coach, actually, I'd gone in goals in, in under 16s to help the club, help the team out, and then I stayed in goals for the next five years. Yeah, that's a it's a funny thing looking at your career when you uh, uh, sent me through uh, sort of a timeline that. Part of your career, I guess, is juniors. You on the field, yeah. Played, yeah, played for Illawarra, yeah. And then you've gone to goalkeeper for a few years, like you said. Then you went back in the outfield, yeah, yeah. Which, but, which is very strange, I guess. I just sort of had enough by. Tw- I must admit, I probably wasn't the best goalkeeper in the world either. So uh, I just I felt the urge to go back back on the field and play. You know, at training, I'd love to get out in the field and have a run around with the boys and that. And so I just made the move. I, I went to Russellville with a fellow called Frank Brindley. Uh, who was my first Balambi coach, and Frank got the first grade job at Russellville, so he, he needed a centre-half, and he thought I could do the job, and over I went for a year. Uh, I'd gone to England for three months just before the season started, and had come back, and they were about two games into the season, and someone got hurt, and I got a, I got a start, and yep. never looked back. Firmed a pretty good partnership with Alfie Harms in goals, and Greg McPherson playing st- uh, sweeper behind me. Just backtracking slightly, with Balambi... Um what were your uh, memories of the, early, of the club of there? The, because, oh, like you said, Bulai and and Bulambi, yeah. especially in that sort of mid to late sixties and then early seventies, 
along with the likes of Coromel yeah, okay, right. and, and whatnot, they were sort of the big clubs. Oh, the night, so, the night they played Ugal, at Blamby played Ugal at Balls Paddock, you know, in, in the quarterfinals of the State Cup, you know. Yeah, I think that was 71. Yeah, God, that was, I was still at Wanoona as a junior then, but I remember that night, massive crowd for a, for a district team to, to pull that many people to come and watch was tremendous. But then into the, the seven, late 70s, uh, Blamby and Buller workers would go out every year. Coromel Rangers weren't a bad side, but... I was just playing reserve grade. I didn't hold me spot the first year. I wasn't good enough to hold me spot in goals. So next year I came back and did all right. I won rookie of the year or something like that, and stayed there for a few more years. And what were your memories of the club then? Oh, the- strong. That we'd get, we'd have twenty or thirty blokes would meet at the club on a Monday night to watch the English football on TV. Then twenty or thirty would go at the club after training on Tuesday. Thursday night there'd be forty or fifty people at Coromandel Club having a drink after training, including all spectators, all the committee people. And then, you know, Saturday night was just Coromandel Blues Club. There'd be a thousand soccer people in the bar at Coromandel Blues Club on, on a Saturday night clubs. from the five clubs that, that the league supported. And uh, they were just heady days, just great friendships were, were, were made in those days. And like I said, I had the privilege of playing for, for, Bull, uh, for Blamby and, and Russellville. We were not a bad little club for a few years either there. They were doing all right for themselves. And so uh, after the, those uh, year and a bit at at Russell, you then went back, back to... to... Yeah, Tony Gill was coaching at Bellamby, and I, Tony sort of interested in me, you know, wanted me to come back and that, so I thought, oh, well, I will. I'd love to go back to Bellamby, and I was still looking very good. Tony was an excellent coach. Uh, we had a couple of really good years there. We had a fellow by the name of Claude Cellini playing for us then. Yeah, very talented person. You know, people like John Brown came, uh, another talent, hugely great player. And there were some good, good years through the late 70s, and John Frew, I think, took over at Balambi in the 80s. Yep. I th- think that's right. He got a lot of bo- young boys from Winuna High School that had done well in the, St- in the Tasman Cup. And he brought them to Balambi. Uh, Tony Dribbers came to Balambi. Uh, plus, Balambi had a few pretty fair players themselves, that's too. Awesome. And that, they formed a good partnership, a lot of good competition with Fig Tree in those days. And then... Slowly then, some of the ethnic clubs started to build. Aris became a strong club. I remember uh, Stephen Quirk playing for Aris. Uh, Robbie Fryer, Robbie Fryer. And then you'd get a lot of the South Coast United clubs would... Uh, you'd get the spin-off of the players that were maybe not quite good enough to make South Coast United, but also maybe in their, in their later years would come to the district clubs for, for a bit of cash. You know, not obviously that, but, uh, you know, clubs like Fig Tree were very strong with Phil Carr coaching down there with Lukey Robards. Uh, they were an extremely good side. So, your uh, we'll go back a little bit as well. Your first game, senior game of football, was at Pop Erring Park. Pop Park, yeah. Yes, Alfie Harms had broken his fingers, so uh, broke his arms. Obviously, with Balambi. Yes, at Balambi, and uh, I went in goals, and a fella who's now not with us, Davy Hall, broke away in early minutes and. I came out and slid at his feet and he had a shot and the ball hit me on the arm and I saved it and went out for a, you know, and I, I thought I'd just hit my arm a bit. Yeah, you know, I thought I'd just sort of hit the funny bone and I couldn't shake this thing off on my arm. I kept feeling, just feeling really, had no power in it and because I had gloves on that day, it was a little bit wet. Um, eventually our strapper came, Phil Hedger came around and said, pull the glove back and here's my wrist, bone of my wrist was sticking out the other side. So he, he put some tape on it and put the glove back on I played on until half time and and uh, Stan Gore came in at half time. He was sort of said, Alan, you know, can you squeeze my hand? And I said, Yeah, I am. And he said, It's up to you. We were leading 1 0 at the time. He said, If you go out and make a, you could make an easily make a fool of yourself in the second half. And uh, I, 
I decided to come off at half time and a, a young 16 year old called Warwick Young went in goals and that was Warwick's first game in goals and ended up being a a, a class, very classy keeper. Yeah, an excellent keeper. Yes. Had Played a great... for the Wolves and... So and I can always say I gave Warwick his first big chance. <laughs> you finished up with Balambi um, in terms of your senior playing career. Yeah. Was that um, either family, your body or work saying, well, enough's enough? Or was it more that you had started in that latter part of your playing career thinking, I want to coach? Yeah, I, I always had that feeling that I would like to coach. I was a fairly cons- uh, consistent talker on the field. I, I usually would never shut up, but uh, I just decided that I thought that was my, could be my best avenue. And I was started at Balambi Reserve Grade as a player coach. Uh, Dave Mollison was the first grade coach. And we got beaten, the old first division, we got, had been relegated then. Um, we had a very good year in, in, in first grade that year. We, uh, while they won the league, they won the league at the beat Russellville in the grand final at uh, Memorial Park. And our reserve grade had got beat in the grand final, but we'd, we'd won the comp. And I just, after that year, the, the next year I, I stayed for a little while and just wasn't the same. Things you see, things were changing at Balambi, and I just thought it was time for a change. And that was the next year I decided to, to move on. And John Frew rang me up at Bulleye and and said, there's a youth grade position out here if you're interested. So in, in 92, I decided, well, time to go. And uh, that year where you were player coach, was it more a case of you put your hand up because they oh, didn't I, have I, anyone, or did they I, sort of come to you and say, look, I actually, no, I, actually, I actually fell into the job. Um, a fellow called Adnam, a Turkish fellow, Adnam, uh, was a player to sweep, a very classy player, but didn't like training too hard and... Um, couldn't hardly speak a word of English, so I got the sort of helping Adam out, so uh, so Adam could get some money for for playing as well. And uh, halfway through the year, he couldn't communicate with the player, so I ended up just taking over, doing all right. So next year, I stayed stayed in the job. So through your interaction, I guess when John Frew was at Bolambi, he yeah yeah, and then he knew you were. Doing a bit of player coaching. Yeah, yeah. And I so, um, I done me level two with Dick Evans there now at um, at at, Bull, at Balls Paddock, Balls Paddock with a uh, uh, with a, a bunch of about twenty blokes, including the Hastings boys and uh, Billy Kodamandidas and Jock Milando. Yeah. We all did that together out there, and that was a, a great learning experience. Doing that with Dick, uh, very enjoyable actually. Very hard because we had to do most of the physical work ourselves, and we were. I remember the second day of the of the two day finished. Billy Cotton and I couldn't walk the next day. He was that stiff. So it was uh, a ri- rigorous. Uh, oh, it was very rigorous. Yeah, yeah, but uh, good fun, but. So it started then. Uh, uh, I guess where um, a lot of people know you from coaching mm. at Bulleye. Um, you obviously had that connection with your uncle as well yeah. there, and and knew of him. Um, what were your, um, I guess, now going into. Part of the coaching and, and committee and playing part of a club is a bit different than sometimes going to watch games. So, yeah. what were your initial thoughts in those sort of that '92 coming into the club? Well, I knew I'd come to a good club. Um, I knew Bulleye were a strong club. I knew they were a good, a very good social club too. That I, I did really would enjoy myself there. And so I came into the youth grade, and uh, they had a very good setup. Obviously, playing on Balls Paddock was probably the ground to you know to, to be, be involved on and play on. 
And the, the, 90, the 92 side was a, had a very good side of young kids. Uh, so did Coniston, actually. A, a boy called Millay Sturjowski played for Coniston in the youth grade that, against us that year. But, but there was a, uh, a, a Cass Cup semi-final where they beat us 4-3. And it was one that, probably one of the best junior under youth grade games I've ever watched in my life. The skill level was just a class above what I'd see these days. But that, that were good early days of Belay. We didn't win anything, but we made the semi-finals for the two years I was at the youth grade coach. Then, then uh, a job, uh, an opportunity came up to go up to the reserve grade, and Buller had a very strong reserve grade all, all through those eras. Yeah, and that. that um, speaking to Roy, uh, and you just look at the one of the old uh, ISA handbooks, and mm. it's just. Bulleye, yeah. Bulleye, Bulleye in that 80s and a, a lot 90s. of it was a lot of it was older players then and one of my not wasn't a job but one of my ideas was to bring a lot of those younger kids up from the youth yeah. grade with me and and the boys like Dean Pierce uh, Warren Wilson Stuart Tobin stepped up into the, Sol Ryan stepped up into the uh, into the reserve grade and, and were very good players in, in, to that level and, and just brought the best out even in, in the Kerry Davenports and the Andrew Christie's and Stephen Greens of that era it, that were good reserve grade players, but we end up with an excellent reserve. Peter Bott played a lot of reserve grade for me, I think, at that, at that stage too. So uh, transitioning from youth grade to reserve grade um, was just yeah. it just happened. Just or? Ha- it just more or less happened. Yeah, just there was an opportunity there, and I I thought two years with the youth grade, those kids were all sort of going up to the next step, and I sort of wanted to take that next step with them. Okay, and so um, in the back of your mind, did you think okay? serving my apprenticeship at Bulleye that maybe if an opportunity arises that you did want to do first grade at some point oh, in time? I, I think that's or you always, just enjoyed coaching? I just enjoyed coaching actually and also I, I always enjoyed the social side of it. Mixing with the players was always very important to me um, and with my family as well. My daughter used to come sit on the bench with me all the time. She was quite uh, well known as the Bulleye assistant coach <laughs> by Paul Mahanas and uh, used to refer her to her as. And uh, it was just just a great club to be at. Just, yeah, good people. And so I think uh, Bulleye was relatively strong, but then did drop back. Um, yes, in, uh, in the latter nineties, was it? Or? Yeah, Frewy had a couple of years there. Then uh, Peter Beggs came on. Peter Beggs had four years, very successful years there. That was uh, a great four years, actually. That was. And you were reserve grade coach, yeah, you? with Peter, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, I just learned a hell of a lot off Peter. Just the way he very just professional and just. The way he spoke to his players and you know kept kept his calm with them, kept very you know all about calmness and, and and speaking, making sure they understand what you want from them. And so, was it a, a case of uh, when you joined there as youth grade coach and then reserve grade coach that all three teams played a similar philosophy yes. based on what the first grade coach wanted? We no, not always, but we tried to. Depending on what playing works, yeah, you know, like reserve grade would change a lot. Yep. because of uh, Peter might take two players up this week or he might have one on the bench as a spare then he might drop somebody else back the next week so reserve grade changed a lot and a lot of times you might have only had nine players and th- they were the quiet days I enjoyed because two boys would come up from the youth grade that maybe have played three quarters of a youth grade game already and they might play half a game each for me in, in the reserve grade and to see the effort of those kids put in and, and the way they adjusted to the better pl- playing with better players that was very enjoyable. That was, yeah. And uh, my personal opinion is that's uh, uh, the uh, strength of reserve grade and why it's still yes, required yeah. in my mind because you you get yes, to be taught was... without the sort of 
fastness or strength of first grade game, reserve grade slightly a step back, but you can still be taught by a coach and or senior players. Very true, Travis. You you learn more from those people playing with those sort of players that uh, you'll ever learn on the training field. You know, and and just you just learn how to grow up too. You know, it's when I joined Blamby, you get taken under your wing like people like Graham Cram and and John Morris was there for a time too, and just lovely people to be around and they look after you. That, That was the the big thing they teach you about life as well, not just about football. Yeah, well, I think that's a aspect that we sometimes lose sometimes at any sporting club, mm. whether it be a male or female or any organise yeah. volunteer organisation. You are mixing with the community and and uh, being part of it. So um, it's one of the big things I've always tried was is to to be friend, especially with the youth grade kids, because sometimes you're like their dad, you know, and you like. They can come and tell you things that they mightn't be able to tell mum and dad, you know, the things that, that's happened in their life and things like that. And I always try to be there for that part of their lives as well, part of their growing up life. And that was that was very enjoyable too. So with youth grade and then to reserve grade, and then, you know, maybe at one point in time that you were going to be a first grade coach and even though the three, three teams would play roughly the same, same yeah. what was your coaching philosophy how how would how did you like to play when you got that opportunity yeah we we played a lot of those days of three five two um you'd play with sort of three at the back and the two wide guys sort of like um i think poster Coglu started to bring it into australia but and then t- the two defensive midfielders and the, the two fullbacks would play like wing, basically play like wingers so we played a lot of that stuff in those days but then some teams you'd have to adjust if they played three up front where well, you might have to adjust in and, and play with a sweeper yeah. I think it was more with sweepers in them days. These days they play with a lot of zonal stuff. Uh, you know, one left side of right, centre-back, left side of centre-back, things like that. But uh, we tried to sort of just install, go out there and play. Yeah. And, and play off people. Don't just think you've done... Just because you've, you've played a 20-metre ball, that don't just stand there and admire it. You know, let's go and keep going. Everybody keeps going all the time. So yeah. really Even as a defender on the left-hand side, if you're a defender on the left-hand side and the ball's on, on the far right, you've still got... Think about where you want to be, where you have to be if it breaks down and things like that. So just educating the players and, and teaching them those close, sort of uh, close skills, aspects of the game in, yeah, on and off the ball. Playing in small zones, three on twos, isolating people, um, you know, isolating weak, weaknesses in the side that you think might be there. And do you think that was a strength of Bulleye as a club that they're, um, and I'm not disparaging any other clubs here, but um, things vary at different clubs even these days, but... Bulleye was pretty much the committee left the coaching staff to be autonomous, oh, yeah, and then did, yeah. you know, yeah. here you go. We've we've hired you now. Do your job. Yeah, they did. Yeah, there was never any interference out there at Bulleye at all, none whatsoever. And you, you got to got a lot of good feedback off uh, people that were involved in the club too. You know, the Kevin Loves and and a lot of the old players would still be around the club at the time. You know, and they always give you always a, you know a pat on the back or a a word in your ear if they thought that you know, they saw something that might help. But never every criticism. There was never any you know, stab in the back jobs out there, that's for sure. So when did you finish up as reserve grade coach there, boy? Uh, two th- uh, they got relegated in 2001. Yeah. And a lot of the players said they'd stay if, they, if I was given the job. And I thought the time was right for me to step yeah. up to the plate and have a bit of a go. So just every uh, that Rod Patterson stayed, the Simon Baines, they all said they'd stay. The Zakovich boys, there was two of them there at the time, uh, Luke and Simon, and 
uh, just trying to think of the other guys, Alan McLeish stayed, yeah, that's, they're just more or less all stayed together. Yep. And we went back and won the first division undefeated. Uh, university knocked us off towards the end of the year in, a, in, a, in, a, in the final, I think, Timmy O'Brien scored the goal for, for uni. One player I always wanted to sign was Timmy O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Never got, he went to Tarawana in the end, but he ended up a great, great player. Um, and then we went up to, got promoted into the Premier League that next year for 2004, and we strengthened our side with some, some good acquisitions. Uh, the, Alan Flack came and John Flack from Kemblawarra, Alan Flack from Picton, uh, Stuart Glass came back to the club, I think, a young boy called Ruben Zakovic burst upon the scene as a, as a 17-year-old. And, of course, the two major signings were the two Spencer boys. We, Jasper signed first, and he said, look, there's an opportunity to get Noel for much of the season, and he, Noel ended up playing the rest of the whole year. And they were... Noel was so professional. It was just it was actually brilliant for me to learn off people like Noel Spencer and just the way they conduct themselves and the, and the, the, the ideas they put into the game and the thoughts and that. So I think what I'm uh, hearing in our interview so far is that um, you seem to be very pragmatic in, in your approach to life, especially your soccer coaching, that you're always open to, I guess, being there for players, you know, wanting to be part of the team, um, still following the hierarchy, but also learning from the likes of Peter Beggs and others. Oh, and yeah. you're always open to learning and, oh, and watching others. You know, yeah. some people can be, I guess, blinkered maybe yeah, is that's... the word, but yourself, you're, you're very open, it seems, to learning, you know, not just from coaches or senior committee members or past players, but also someone like Noel Spencer comes on the scene, mm. you're learning from a, a senior professional player. So. Oh, it was, yeah, it's tremendous. They had, had such desires, the, uh, the Spencer boys, and and we had a tremendous year that year. We uh, got we, we won the Burke Bampton Cup in the end um, at Cringilla, and Cringilla had a very hot side with people like Matthew Bailey, and Mark Bridge, who ended up being a great uh, NSL player, or A-League player, still is to these days. I think he's still playing A-League somewhere. Uh, they were a red-hot side. We, gave, we posted them up 4-1 down at Cringilla in the final, even after Ruben Zakovic had got sent off. So that was a great day for the club. We hadn't, been, we hadn't won the Bird Bounty in 27 years. So uh, tremendous team effort that day by the boys. And that... Um so I guess what I'm trying to say there is, is that you're learning from others, big celebrations. So do you think um, having those sort of people around, say the Spencer brothers and, and those other guys that you signed up, it, it then filters down into, oh, the, into, rest the, of the, team, yeah. into oh, the other other grades? Yeah, you, you could see uh, you know, Rod Patterson, for example, you know, he, he played through the good sides of Begsy and that, you know, with people like Warren Baker had played and... Warren came back actually in, the, in that relegated year and played at sweeper for us. And uh, they just bring out the best. Quality players will always do that and they drive other people around them. And, and some, of, some of the best sessions we'd have at Bulleye would be, uh, is, is, it could be six on six, but it would be four attacking players on four defending players and two midfielders on two midfielders. And you'd, you'd, the sessions, you don't allow players to go outside where they want to play. Yep. You know, uh, Stuart Glass was always one, for example, he won't mind me saying this, he always wanted to play striker at training, you know, <laughs> which is no benefit at all because he's a centre-half. Yep. So we got people playing where they trained and that we started that. That was a, a, a thing through Noel, me and Noel just talking and things like that. And uh, certainly made me a better, a better coach for it, for listening to people like Peter Beggs and Noel Spencer and those sort of people. 
And so even, um, is this during the period where you then coached the uh, Illawarra youth grade side? Yeah, yeah, I got the opportunity. Uh, Noddy, with, with Noddy? Yeah, Noddy, that was a very enjoyable experience. Uh, we went up to Canberra. In those days, the, that was still going on, the the, the uh, ACT Illawarra interstate, or interstate game, what do you want yeah. to call it? And I got selected to do the youth grade side, so we, we as Noddy liked in them days, we just pick, tried to pick one from every club. Yep. So every club got a, a representation in the side. Uh, I had some very good players in my side. Uh, a fella called Pedge Romic, Rodic, who ended up playing for Central Coast Mariners. Yep. Uh, Ruben Zakovic was in my team. Uh, Matt Wascara, who's still playing last year. I think he played for Port last year or someone. I think so. Well, what? Yeah, well, maybe Willem United, but. Uh, uh, Lock, Lockie Cahill, uh, just Shane Manning, it was, it was a good side, and Noddy had a very good side. He'd had some of the NSL boys had come back. Uh, David Savinsky was playing centre half for Cringilla at the time. Stuart Lowry, uh, Reedy from Picton, uh, it was a very good side. So was it sort of, uh, like you said, another chance to learn from others? And then, oh, yeah. And even, yeah. even being sort of that. Um, being involved full, with those full circle class that you, of players, you probably yeah. watched Alston in the latter part of the sixties, yeah. and now you you get to be who who then went on to be one of the, the um, first Socceroos to go to a World Cup. Was that in the back yeah. of your mind a little oh, bit as well? Definitely, I just I you know, came in the shed at half time, and we were leading Canberra one nil, and we were pl- doing it pretty easy actually. And uh, I just thought I'd just stand there watching. Not he sat down, and he just sat there, just sat there, and I. He just let all the players get over that silly talk to start yeah. with. They're all yak, 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 you know. And uh, as soon as he stood up, just a deathly silence overcomes and no one dares talk. And uh, I was amazed that uh, he could still say things to people like David Savinsky. You know, he'd, he'd say, David, when you're in the middle, you're a champion. You're a champion. When you go out, out there, out there, rubbish, <laughs> rubbish. And it, to me, to, to say that to, you know, a player played in a cell like David Savinsky, I thought, wow, that's... That's how much Noddy commanded the respect of the people and that. And he actually threw it over. I, I got the shock of my life. He said, Alan, would you like to say something? And I, I sort of just had to think quickly and I just said something about being the next scorer and don't let them back in the game and let the crowd become involved in the game and that sort of thing. And we went out and we towel them up 5-0. So it was a nice day. Yeah, good day. And so uh, after that... Uh Bandit Cup winner, Bulleye, you then, I think, had one more year? Yes, yeah, we uh, strengthened our side again. We'd, we'd bought um, Andrew Payne and uh, Bel- Mark Belby from Helensburg. Uh, Noel had left, obviously, and I think, and think maybe Jasper had left too. I don't think they stayed the next year. I can't remember that one. Um, we thought we were a pretty good good side. We had a young, very fit side. Uh, we started, we won the Coromelis Club knockout yeah. at the start of the year. We were leading the comp after four games. We had to play Rockdale in the... We'd won all our uh, State Cup games. And we played Rockdale in the Suns in the quarterfinal of the State Cup. Out of Balls Paddock, we got beat 5-4 on penalties after extra time. It was a two-all draw, and we do extra time. They beat us 5-4 on penalties, and uh, great effort by the blokes that night to match it with a State League side like that. But it physically drained us, and the district actually, which I was always a bit disappointed in, made us play two days later at at uh, Port coming on the Friday night. Port wouldn't change the game for us. So I was always a bit dirty on that. But, uh, and we got beat by Port 2-1, but the guys had no legs that night. Just, just I think they scored two early goals. We were just off here. Couldn't get, pick up the pace of the game at all. 
And we sort of fell apart after that. I'd, we tried resting the players, giving them a week off. Different. We tried different things and uh, just never got it back together again. We ended up running fifth out of 14. We made the semis um, and we got beat. We won our first semi-final, but got it beat in the next semi-final by um, John Fleming's Serbia, I think. I think it was Serbia at the time, yeah. And he beat us in the semi. So um, that was your last year? That was our last year. I, I, I knew then that I'd taken the players as far as probably I could. And you sort of talked to the committee and said, well... Yeah, I just made a decision myself that yeah. it was time for me to go and time for someone new. I hadn't heard any rumours about Noddy at that stage. Uh, maybe, maybe it had started. Yeah. But um, I remember going to presentation night that year and, and, and making my little speech, you know, as, as us coaches had to do every year. And I just told him to embrace Adrian and give him a chance. I said, because he's, he's, he'd be well worth it for his, you know. So uh, Noddy had the next six years there. And so sometimes uh, it seems in terms of your coaching career that it was pretty smooth. Sometimes it's yeah, a bit oh, tumultuous, you know. Yeah, you, you have your bad patches, yeah, of course you have your bad runs. But, you know, you didn't get the sack or there was no acrimony there. Or no, was, no, no, I, I walked away in my terms. Maybe they would have sacked me anyhow, for, for all I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But I, I thought I'd take them as far as I could and I thought it was time for someone and that Noddy came in. But... Uh, didn't have, though he brought a lot of good players to the club, he, he didn't have, he, he ran a lot of seconds, I think. I think they got beaten in the grand final three or four times and ran second in the comp three or four times. But um, it was lovely to see people like Ben Smith come to the club. I, I'd bought Ben to the club from Picton, actually, and uh, Ben stayed at the club and then ended up being a great, really good coach, brought a, a, a classy level of soccer to the club. And now Matthew Bailey, who came to Bulleye through a friendship of our families. And... Uh, Matthew's still at the club now, obviously, he's won the Premier League this year, and he's the same as Ben, he's just picked up the ball and he's probably even taken it to another level, very professional, um, you know, Matthew's played at, at, a, at a quite a high level, so he's brought that professional to Bulleye guys as well. So, um, when we, um, well, I guess I'll ask firstly, do you miss the game? In, in that sense, I know you went overseas yeah. there and yeah, I went had an yeah. sort of work holiday. Oh well, yeah, I went over with a, a, my company, Imperial Tobacco, and I had a two-year contracting in uh, living in Kent. Yeah, at a place called Tunbridge Wells, and we had a fantastic time. I can tell you, it's uh, one of the greatest two years of our lives. And because uh, I enjoyed the football over there, that was the ultimate: was to be able to sit there and watch matches live at eleven o'clock during the day and have a pint and and cheer on your team and. And, the, and the, the camaraderie in the pubs, there was a little, the banter in that in the pubs was uh, pretty pretty first class. It was uh, a couple of times you feel for you, a bit worried, um, and, but other time, most of the time you feel pretty safe, and uh, it was good good to watch it live. So you went to see a few matches as yes, well, and yeah, got, I, I, got I, to do some special stuff in that sense. Yes, I went to Webley, watched Man United play there. Went to uh, Old Trafford for a weekend, and uh, that's when Ronaldo and Rooney were playing. Uh, that was that was to watch them even just be pre-game warm-ups was their touches and their their, their level of skill is, is quite you know exceptional um, went to White Hart Lane went to the Emirates uh, but it's also you remember some of the funny grounds you went to I went to watch Grimsby Town once yeah. up, up there with a friend of mine and uh, that that was a, a, a great event you could see the Humber River coming in from the top of the stand the old days of uh, Brighton used to play at the Witterdean Stadium yeah It'd be 10,000 people packed in there with a running track around the ground. You know, it was old stadium, which they moved to their new one now. At, uh, but I went and watched Lewis play a few times, that's, and, a, and a mob called Ebb's Fleet. 
a friend of mine was a director there. And I actually tried at one stage there that they were looking at bringing players over if they had British... And I was trying to get Matthew Bailey to go over. And uh, they were paying pretty good money for, for that level that was the level under the, under the Football League, the first... So comp, the first fifth, comp, fifth division. Yeah, fifth division, 15. I suppose. Yeah, and they absolutely were... Oh, well, so, yeah, they had their two or 3,000 supporters. Um, yeah, so it, I, I thought of Matthew coming over, but just the, the, the passport... Yep. Situation and he needs to be sponsored and all that sort of stuff. You know that that was unless you've got a British passport, then you're you're, you're a chance. Heritage. Yeah. So when you um, do watch games and you're there, do you watch it as a coach or can you relax and and become? Oh, I used to watch it. As, no, I used to watch it as a coach. Yeah, 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 yeah as a coach. But also, you know, I'm, I'm mad Man United, United fan, so uh, always sort of cheering for for them to win. But I, I can sit there and watch. Uh, two London sides play. It wouldn't worry me. Just I look for the quality of the game yep. and the, the things you see these days. The, the skill level is just exceptional. And do you think, um, and not exaggerating it too much, um, and I know we uh, romanticise uh, about the past, but do you think that that was, um, apart from maybe some NSL games, um, the A-League hadn't really started, mm. but do you think it was one of the first times that you'd sort of been back to especially at Grimsby and whatnot, but yeah. you've gone to those lower leagues that you then sort of remembered back to the times where you were watching South Coast United. Oh yeah, definitely, you know, yeah, that, definitely so. Yeah. There's that type of atmosphere where yeah, you've got nine thousand people in an enclosed ground, which yeah, it was, was great viewing. Bright was very much like that. Uh, absolutely, it was quite funny. They used to all there was a little bar, and they'd all cram into this bar and all have a pint before the game. Then half the whistle would blow, and they'd all go straight back into the bars. And have a pint while half time was on, then back in the bars at full time for another pint, and they'd all toddle off back to their houses. But uh, real local stuff, uh, you know. I went and watched Chillingham play. Had the experience of going over, going on a tour of the Bernabeu, and also yeah. uh, in Noah Camp, New Camp. Uh, I had a great experience in Paris. Yeah. You know, like, I'll, I'll tell that story. I'd like to tell yeah. that to the people that well, we were over there for a work, um, a junket weekend of. Uh, for a prize we won at work uh, for three days in Paris and we were staying right near the near the uh, Parc de Princess and on the Sunday morning you could see all the people coming in for the game and you could understand through the papers that it was Paris's last game of the season they needed a point to survive relegation and it was the last game for their Portuguese striker Tony Paletta who'd been there for 10 years so it was like his farewell game and uh I tried. I thought. Oh, I said I'll never get a ticket. It'll be sold out, yep. which it was. And I was just happened to be walking through the uh, the Radisson where we were staying, and I was going to ask the concierge if he knew somebody that might have a scalpers ticket, you know. And I just uh, these a young ten year old boy, an eighteen year old boy, and an old fellow standing there with parachutes on, and I just saw oh, you going to the game. You speak English, and the eighteen year old boy said, "Yes, I speak English." He said, "Yeah, we're going to the game." He said, "Big game today." And I said, "Yeah, Tony Pletter's last game." and and they started laughing, and he, he, said, he said, you like football? I said, oh, yeah, I, I coach a bit in Australia, and you know, I've always loved, loved the game. You know? He said, would you like to come? I said, oh, yeah, if I can buy a ticket. And the old, the old man got this wad of tickets out, and he gave me a ticket. And I looked at it and said, the Royal Box. I said, what is it? And they started laughing. They said, well, this is Tony Paletta's dad. I'm his nephew, and that's his son. Oh, wow. So I went into the Royal Box what with the Paletta family on the... So I, with them. How special is that? Yeah, so it was a great night and uh, got to mix with a lot of uh, a lot of scouts from other clubs were there from yeah. West Ham and, and Chelsea, a scout was there in, the, in that sort of little bar area they had off off the back of that. 
and uh, ended up being a great night. Yeah, really. And they got their point for relegation against St. Antien and, and Tony Paletta did his lap of the car and I was standing up in the Royal Box way <laughs> with his family. <laughs> he probably thought, who's that joker up there? Yeah, so and all the people from work had, had stayed up that night. I got back about uh, 11 o'clock and they'd all stayed up and they gave me a standing ovation. They just, all the Englishmen, was, all the English guys were that jealous. How did you get a ticket for that? How the hell would you do that? Royal Box, very cool. Yeah, yes. So when you look back over your involvement in the game, you know, you, you mentioned it in your Balambi days about um, people mixing together at, um, at the Leagues Club, Coromel Leagues, but, um, you know, the game and, and life and people evolve and communities evolve, but you would have had that sort of direct line of, of seeing that change in the game, especially that social aspect. Oh, definitely, yes. Um, it's, it's really fallen up. I, I presume I would drink driving sort of killed that thing where yeah. you could have a few beers and drive home, but uh, obviously not these days, and that's that's the whole social side of it now, I think, is just about falling apart. I think there's, you know, you, there's still some good supporter clubs, like I think Tarawana still have a good social atmosphere up there, and I think Bulambi, uh, Bulli still do. Uh, but I don't know about some of the other clubs. I mean, you hear bad stories that they all just get in the car and go straight home. But... Uh, yeah, so it's. I think socially, it's it's not what it used to be. So for you, as a as a young boy, was was that the the highlight of those days to be the mascot at that '63 uh, Grand Final oh, yes, against Arpia? It, it was up. I don't like. I, said, I was only five, so I don't remember a hell of a lot about. It, but I just remember walking out and all these people, and then just actually being sick on the way home. On minute, yeah. <laughs> and I guess it's pretty. Uh, you know, you must have a special relationship with Barry in the sense that. You know, he sort of, you know, to have that interaction, yeah. whether it be a Tuesday, Thursday nights of training or just the home and away season, let alone going to oh, something yeah. big like that. Yeah, it's, uh, he used to come watch me play a, a bit whenever he could. Um, I enjoyed him coming and watching me play. He'd give me some feedback, you know. Um, uh, then also in the coaching career, he watched come watched a couple of grand finals I coached in, and, and always give me some feedback of what he what he thought was the strengths of the side and what what let us down maybe on the day. It's all feedback. It's all learning curve, and yeah, I, I value his opinion on, on things like that. And um, so, apart from him, in that era where you were watching as a as a kid, who, who sort of picked your fancy? Because you know, there's some big names there. Whether you know, you're talking about Peter Wilson, Alston, Peter Beattie, Max Tolson, yeah, Dennis you know, Patterson. Yeah. You know, uh, you've got Wilf Billington and. And, um, Ringo played on that side, Adrian Ringlands. You know, Jack Hennessy. So, yeah. so was it as a kid, did you sort of gravitate to a couple of players where you just liked what they did, or was it pretty much Barry? Or oh, no, a lot of the team, a lot of the, the players, players would embrace me. I knew, I knew Dennis very well yeah. in, in those days, and remained friends with the Patterson family, with brother Ross as well, yeah. for a lot of years. Um, Errol, Errol Freeman played in, in that era too. Errol then went to Balgani with, with Barry. Um, yeah, it was all all good friends. Ray often went to Balgany with Barry, and Ray still just lives down the road here now. So it's it's yeah, it's socially I've stayed. You know, it was a good part to be part of it. That's that's definitely I, I mixed just not with Barry, but I I got to know a few other people, and you know they you know, Jimmy Kelly. I got to know Jimmy Kelly on a number of occasions, and at barbecues at Barry's place and that, and um, I had an invitation to go and see him in Blackpool when in 1980 when I went over before I joined um, Russellwell. And I, I rang him that day, and he, he was luckily he was out, 
So, uh, that I, I, one, didn't, well, I don't like that he was out. I didn't get a chance to talk to him. But Looking back at that, at the, the newspapers, that was a big signing um, for South Coast United because I think the previous year he was part of the Blackpool first, yeah, first yes, team. Yes, yeah. So to get him to come out, you know, it was those days... Um, the transfer of quality players from different parts of Europe, not just oh, England, to come to come yeah. out here was, you know, it's it, you wouldn't have it these days, would you? No, Barry said he was the most professional, and he brought that professionalism to South United. And it's, he said probably Baumgartner was the the most talented player he, he he saw, but he said Kelly for application and and dedication and hardness as well. That uh, he. Kelly could sort people out if, he, if they needed sorting out, that's for sure. I think Van Gartner was managing South Coast when uh, Kelly first came out and then, um, for whatever reason, then went back to one of the Sydney clubs. So, um, yeah. you know, it would have been uh, interesting. I think Kelly's first game, he played against him. So it would have been interesting if uh, they'd both stayed together. Yes, well, it would have been a pretty good combination, that's for sure, yeah. So you've saw... Um, in your childhood, some some big players, but in terms of your playing career, uh, was there is there a, a year or a game or sort of something that stands out that you go you always remember when you first you know preparing for this interview? Did you think, yeah, what about that time? Or is there something that something memorable, a, a grand final? Or oh yeah, we played in a few grand finals. Um, we used to have a. Uh... Me and Kim Johnson, who, who scored a lot of goals for Blamby Reserve Grade, we had a little thing worked out where I'd, 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 punt, a, I'd, I'd punt some poor punts early in the game. And then uh, we had a little signal that Kim would stand on the halfway, like, oh, this guy can't kick. They, you know, they're saying he can't kick. Stand up here. So bring, they bring them up to the halfway. And Kim, I just rub something on my head or something like that. Kim knew straight away. So he'd give himself a little start, and he was quick as lightning, and I'd just have a drop kick. And I used to be able to drop kick the ball about 70 metres. And Kim had just run through. I think we scored about ten goals that year. We scored one in a grand final, exactly the same. So it was a, that was a special thing that that me and Kim had uh, a little trick that we we scored a lot of goals off. But uh, grand final was, I suppose, with Russell Bar. We beat um, Barney King, Shell Harborside. I think Bingham, John Bingham, might have been coaching then. That I could be wrong there, but Barney was playing first grade at uh, Shell Harbour, and he was a very good striker, excellent striker. It's very strong, and we had some great battles over the years, me and him, and uh, aerial-wise and on the ground as well. And uh, we beat them in a West, wild westerly wind day at Berkeley Sports and Social Ground. We beat them 3-1. They, uh, we, we kept pretty scoreless till half-time, and I think it was, and then uh, we scored. Brian Adams scored a cracking goal to win it 3-1 at the end, and uh, that, was a great, that was a great moment too. And that was with Russell Bell. That was with Russell Bell. I think we played Fig Tree in the grand final next year at the same venue, and... Uh, We'd beaten them in the semi-final, and I'd, I'd been a bit verbal, I think, to a few players for victory. And uh, they certainly, when they beat us three 0 in the grand final, it was nil all with Thames to go. And, and Mario Mastroianni gave a penalty against me. Phil Brand had gone over the top. And I, I still think to this day Phil dived, but uh, <laughs> obviously I didn't get the call, and he didn't. And he got the penalty, and they ended up beating us three 0 They scored. We pushed forward, and they scored three at the end. And they certainly gave it to me verbally over the last goal. <laughs> As we walking back, but I, I took it on the chin. I thought that's that's life, you know. I, I did learn a good lesson that day, but about being you can only take verbling so, so much so far. And I'd been probably in the semi final. I'd been a bit over the top, yeah. and um, I got I got me just reward. And I think I've always believed in that. Everybody gets their uh, just rewards one day. A bit of quicker karma than yes. you thought. Yeah. 
So in terms of your your coaching career, um, oh, the what, what have been Bert the Bampton, yeah, definitely yeah. the Bert Bampton final. Uh, that was probably the the highlight by probably a long way. Like we, the reserve grade, we won um, in the seven years I was there. We won five grand finals. I think it was or four got beat in one. So that that was pretty. Uh, those grand finals were always special, and of course the Mad Mondays that would follow were always very special. I think that was what most people used to look forward to was the Mad Mondays. <laughs> And there used to be some wild ones in those days, I tell you, yes. And um, seeing, um, like I said, you've, you've mentioned some of the players there, some of the younger guys, such as Matthew Bailey. Um, so obviously you, you've developed some, some good relationships that yeah. you still hold with, with players, which oh, definitely, speaks yeah. volumes yeah. about you know, your coaching philosophy and the relationships you've developed. So you, you must be proud of, proud of that aspect of... Oh, yeah, yeah. Very, very enjoy that I can have that respect and I still walk into Bulleye's ground and I still know a lot of people and I know a lot of people from other clubs as well and I've always tried to maintain that with my job I've, I've had a lot of um, foreign sh- shop owners that I've, I've dealt with with business and that and I've always enjoyed a great relationship with them and I, I, I believe I've made a lot of friends out of soccer down here a lot of, a lot of you know friendships have lasted a lot of time long time and so uh, once you then went out of the game, um, was uh, you now involved at Winona Bowling Club? So does yes, I'm the treasurer there at the moment. That's uh, that's a very difficult position. It's a club that, especially bowling clubs, as most people know, it's very hard to, to make a dollar yep. because of the green situation. It's bit, you spend a lot of money on your bowling greens, yep. so and they want the best grass. Like all soccer players, they want the best surfaces to play on. So the bowlers want the best surfaces to play on. So that's that's been a a difficult uh, two years I've been doing the treasurer's job down there now and it's been a difficult job but there's the the rewards come out of it as well. So did you uh, do you still miss the game? Do you sometimes feel I wish I was involved maybe not not from a time time, yeah. time capacity but more from you know meeting people being there or do you get that out of being involved with the bowling club? No no I, I do miss that that friendship of the soccer you know that that the training, I used to enjoy, I used to always enjoy training. Yeah. Used to hear some players grumble about, oh, I've got to go to train tonight and all that. I couldn't wait. It's always been the same. I couldn't wait to get there and uh, and just, just to talk, have a yak before training and a yak after training and, and just enjoy that. You know, I was an only child, so maybe that's that's why I enjoyed going to the, the training side of it as well. Yeah. So uh, I guess we're, we're probably near the end, but um, is there... Uh um, another, uh, I guess, if you had to pick, and it's always hard to choose, but you know, you've seen a lot of great players over time. But who did you really enjoy, whether it be as a young boy or as a player or as a coach? Who did you really enjoy um, watching, and, and maybe sometimes playing against you, or you coached against them? Who did you enjoy watching the most, or a couple of players that sort of spring to your memory that you go, wow? Oh, I, I always. Probably the toughest player I thought I ever played against was Phil Brown. I always thought Phil was so strong and such, such had great vision. Always enjoyed the challenges of playing against Phil. And a lot of times I always had the job of marketing, which is never easy because he, he just floats in and out of the game so lovely. Um, but uh, the early got Larry Gaffney playing for Unandera back in the early days when Unandera was quite a strong club in those, that era. Uh, like I said, people like Robert Banks at, at my club at Balambi was great, but the whole Balambi had a excellent side you know in those days there were there were well there's 12 guys that just grew up together 
and they all came at the same age and came together to form a really top side. But you got the old Bullo Workers days of Graham Baker playing out at, at, at uh, Bullo Workers. You know, that, you know, that was a great side too. Paul Hancock, who, who bowls down one in and out, so does Graham. Uh, through the, the next year of players, you know, you'd had the lots of the Warren Bakers, Rod Pattersons were exceptional. Uh, there's got to be lots of players I'm going to miss out there, yeah. but uh, John Bingham came back to the local league and was coaching at Shell Harbour and Berkeley, and they had a great side at Berkeley, you know. Um, Paul Harris's and the Barry Stewarts, who were both came to Russell well, actually, a couple of years later, but uh, John Ritchie, the Ritchies, and great side Berkeley. Um, yeah, and then, then you had Luke and Kari coaching the fig trees through the 80s. Extremely strong club up there, Robbie Noakes and uh, Ian Lewis, players like that. And uh, in terms of your coaching career, who, who did you who did you always uh, like in your side and you knew that... Oh, pa- Pato would always be one of your first... Roddy was always... Uh, I always enjoyed Stuart Glass. I'd never enjoyed Stuart at training. He was the worst <laughs> trainer in the world. Um but uh, on game day, you wouldn't want anybody else but Stuart Glass playing centre half way because he just, yeah, he just used to cover the ground so quick, and he was, you know, good tackle and head. And but uh, then, then Spencer boys come along, obviously, and and now were uh, exceptional quality. Uh, the Zach, watching three Zakovich, young Zakovich boys grow up, um, you know, Ruben from a tender age of six, you know, you see him at half time. As I'll be around talking, walking to the players, you see Ruben out there as an eight and ten year old with bare feet on, smashing the ball from 30 metres into the top corner with bare feet. You think, boy, this kid's going to be something. And yeah, just they were the sort of players that it's always the steady players. You now we we had such Hammers, Adam Hammersley, we had uh, the Bain, uh, Simon Bain, all all good steady players at Bulleye. That was probably the thing we had. I know Matthew Bailey later in. I'm really glad that Matthew came to the club. Um, but that, they'd be the pick, probably pick of the ones that I've, I've been around that I've seen, and yeah. Well, uh, I guess that's a, a good time to to finish the interview, and I'd like to say thank you to yourself and Sandra for allowing me in your, your beautiful home and and uh, giving up your time for for this interview. Appreciate it, Al. Thanks, Travis. Pleasure. As a post-interview footnote, Alan did mention he spent approximately two seasons with Cringilla Lions as a reserve grade coach after his stint of coaching at Bulleye. At the time of interviewing Alan, I overlooked this aspect and apologised to him and you, the listener. This finalises Episode 4 of Football United vs Soccer City podcast. Please keep listening. Thank you very much again for your support. I'm your host, Travis. Bye for now.